Well, in this series, One Last Time, Jared and I are preparing to share the, the thoughts we'd like to leave you with most as your lead pastors for the last 13 years. And today, I'm, I get to talk about um, the hike, um, the most important hike that you'll ever take, and that's the hike of following Jesus. And as, as I look back over 44 years of ministry, and I, think of, I had to think of two things that I would want to leave behind with you. And this is one of the two, and I'm going to leave you to guess what the next one's going to be about when I come to share on the 12th. But today, I, Jared and I are getting ready for our big hike around Mont Blanc. And that's called Tour de Mont Blanc. And it's going to be 102 miles approximately of hiking. And we are going to gain more elevation than the elevation of Everest by the time we're done. And we're going to descend that much as well. And it's a hike that we've been preparing for and we've been looking forward to for the past three years. And we even have a countdown clock for it. It's on this app that the company sent us. Okay, that was taken when it was 41 days. This morning, friends, it is 36 days away, the, the start of the hike. And I wanted to give you a little one-minute video tour of the vistas, we're, some of the vistas we're going to see on this hike. So take a look. as grand as this hike is, it is not the one I'm here to talk to you about, except to use it to illustrate. I really want to talk to you about this most important hike you'll ever take, the hike that we're on to follow Jesus. And I know the Bible doesn't actually call it a hike, but it does call it a race. And in many places, it indicates that this is not a sprint, but that it is going to test our endurance. In fact, when John writes to the churches in Revelations, the last book in the New Testament, in, to each one of these churches, he talks about to the one who overcomes. In other words, to the one who makes it to the end. And it is my heart, out of two things that would matter most to me, it would be that you follow Jesus on the grandest adventure of your life and that you make it to the end, that you finish well. That has been something that has been Jared and I's goal from the beginning. And today I want to talk to you about three things that will help you finish well in this hike of your life. And number one is this, keep your destination in mind. Hebrews 11 says this, all these people of faith that have been talked about in Hebrews 11, and this is what it says about them, all these people died 
died, still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads or transients here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking for a country that they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The first thing that we learn about keeping our destination in view is this. It's not where you've come from, but where you're going that matters. It's not where you come from, but where you're going that matters. And that's why this destination, keeping it in view, is so important. So how do we keep the destination in mind on a hike? Well, on a, just a regular hike like we're going on, we have an app. It's called All Trails. And this All Trails app, I can click on, I can put in Tour de Mont Blanc, and up will go a map like this. And as we're hiking, it will track us along that trail so that wherever I'm at on the trail, I know how far I still have left to go. Now, don't we wish it was that simple in following Jesus that we got the whole map in advance? We know the end, and we know where we're at right now and where we've been, but we don't know what lies between us and the destination. And that's kind of the point of why it's so important to keep your destination in mind. So how do we do that? When I was hiking with the Women's Adventure Group to Cape Falcon, the last quarter mile was a mud hole trail, and there was no avoiding it. Take a look at a couple seconds of our journey. And here comes the warrior woman through our mud challenge as we near the Cape. Cape Falcon, we all wish we could be a falcon right now. <laughs> and fly over this. Yes. <laughs> and yes, you are seeing correctly. Those are raindrops falling. <laughs> Woo! Baby, come on, you can do it. And then we have our brave souls. I recommend you just walk through it, girls. <laughs> so coming through the mud flats there, um, what did we do to help each other on that destination? Well, we actually looked for a sneak peek at uh, views that we were going to capture when we got to the end. We got glimpses of the view ahead, and this was one of them that we found through the trees as you saw us going through the, the mud holes. We reminded ourselves that we were almost there. If you listen closely, you heard the women saying, you can do this. Each time we did this, if found a sneak peek or encouraged one another, we were energized. We picked up our pace a little, and we savored the glimpses of the beauty ahead. Okay, but that's on a hike where we can see the destination in hard time, in real time. I can touch the bushes. I can slog through that mud. What about our ultimate destination in life, our eternal life, our destiny in God's presence, enjoying this new heaven and this new earth that we read about? I hope you notice that that new city that he's prepared for us was past tense, the verb was. It has been prepared. This city that he's going to show us already exists, and it's waiting for us. So how do you and I think about heaven and the place that God has prepared for us. How often do you think about heaven? How often do you think about what he's prepared for you? So our destination, um, 
Perhaps you, the last time you thought about that was the celebration of life you were at. Perhaps it was as you contemplated what happened in Uvalde, Texas, because for some of us that was so horrific, and you begin to long for heaven and for uh, the redemption of all creation, man, woman, child. But Paul talked about this goal or destination in Philippians, the third chapter. He said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He kept his destination in mind. So how do you and I keep a destination in mind that we can't see with our physical eyes? Well, I want to make a few suggestions for us. One, we might use our physical limitations as a daily reminder that this life is temporary and that there is wholeness at a whole new level that's waiting for us at our destination. Wholeness awaits. We might use a visual reminder, something like this painting that I have of Peter and John. They're on their way to the tomb. They're racing there. We know from John that he won the race, right? Got there sooner. But I love the expressions on their faces as they're running toward the tomb because there's this longing that Jesus would be alive, that Jesus was going to be reunited with them as they're heading toward that tomb, having heard rumors that he was risen. We might use a visual reminder like that, or in college, buttons were big, and we wore buttons that said, today might be the day. And we got a lot of questions from people. What does that mean? But today might be the day, meaning Jesus might come back. We might decide to offer a daily prayer that is modeled after one of the last prayers in the Bible, in the last book in Revelations. It's Maranatha, or in English, come Lord Jesus. The final prayer in the Bible is that. John, after seeing that vision of heaven, was come Lord Jesus, I mean, welcoming that. We could do that. We could take a scripture a week about heaven and Jesus' return, and we could meditate on it. And in my sift through meditation apps, there are not a lot of meditations about heaven. In fact, I asked Bo Stern, one of our friends who's written an app that I use all the time, and she said, I've never written one on heaven. And she gave me a suggestion of another app I could look at, and I looked on it, but no, there wasn't one there. And I looked at a third one, and there wasn't one there. Not very much is written about a meditation on heaven. And so I really felt like what the Lord wanted us to do now is to take a few moments and do what he's talking about. Keep the destination in mind. So we're going to meditate on heaven for a few minutes. And to do that, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, to just rest your hands in your lap or at your side. You don't need to be holding on to anything. And take a deep breath. And as you do, let's think about these things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What's the least cooperative part of your physical body right now? Is it your eyes? Is it your upper body strength? Is it your coordination? Maybe it's your mental health. You've struggled with depression. I want you to think about how Jesus will bring everything under his control and is going to transform you. What might that feel like to have a glorified body? 
Suddenly the glasses and the contacts are gone. The shoulder that always gave you problems, you're able to reach high and strongly. That affliction that you've carried for years is completely gone. The aftermath of treatments completely wiped away. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Home is waiting for you. You are loved and everything you need has been prepared for you. There is no mortgage bill, no insurance required, and God's peace permeates every square foot of your heavenly home. Rest in that peace for a moment. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. God himself will wipe your every tear away. Can you feel the tenderness in God toward your sorrow and pain? The last tear will be the one he wipes away as he ushers us into a new heaven and a new earth without death or sorrow or crying or pain. Reflect on that for a moment. Jesus, we thank you for the city that you have prepared for us. One where all pain, sorrow, suffering, and death is eliminated. One in which we'll have transformed bodies. And we just thank you for that now in Jesus' name. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of what's to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, author and pastor Max Licato said, God never said the journey would be, be easy, but he did say that it would be worthwhile. So my encouragement to you is to keep the destination in mind. It will help you along the way. Number two, travel light. Let's read on in Hebrews 12. It says this, and I'm going to read from the message because it said so well. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we're be we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat and no parasitic sins. And then in the New Living, it says it this way, a bit more subdued. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let's strip off every weight that slows us down 
and especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So we're given two categories of things to leave on the trail. That is to throw down, to get rid of. The first is things that hinder. And hinder there literally means in the Greek, weigh us down and slow us down. And these aren't necessarily bad things that can hinder us. They can be good things, too. Jared and I went backpacking for the second time together in the Wallawas about, oh, I don't know, it was pre-2016. I lost all my pictures in the ocean, or I'd show you one. But we went there, and it was our longest backpacking trip. So when we went to pack our food, we didn't have a good perspective on how much we'd need, but just maybe it's from my early backpacking. I didn't want to run out of food. And so let's just say we had more than enough, and we had to lighten the load along the way. And one of the things that we had brought was a jar of peanut butter, not little packets that you can squeeze. Oh, no, we didn't do that. We brought a jar. There are 16 ounces in this jar. That is one pound. Anybody who knows hiking knows ounces matter. You do not want to take more. Well, this happens to be one night we pulled out this jar. We're not taking this any further. So anybody who wants peanut butter out of the four of us, take your best scoop and then this is going the way of all things. <laughs> and on top of that, we had brought dehydrated hummus that we were going to put our purified water into. You can buy that at Winco, by the way. And it is heavy. We brought each of us, we're carrying this like one pound bag of this powder. Oh, my word, we dumped that whole thing and both of our bags buried it in the dirt, you know. We were tossing out the things that would slow us down or weigh us down. But again, what about in our journey of following Jesus? I want to mention two things that in my 57 years of walking with Jesus and my 44 years of ministry, I've seen take people out time and time again, slow them down on their journey. The first one is distractions. Okay, these are those good things, but we give them so much of our time that we don't have time to give Jesus our attention, to pay attention to where he's leading us. Or we don't have, we don't have time to be with other people who are following him that could encourage us along the way. And in the whole process of doing that thing, we miss him. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about things like sports and travel and work and hobbies and screens of all kinds. So now you see these are all good things, nothing wrong with them in and of themselves, but they can slow us down in our following Jesus. And I want to just say a special word to parents and kids because I'm going to tell a story of a kid who... Um, whose parents understood what the right distractions were on the trail. So Macy Hughes, uh, daughter of Kevin and Emily Hughes, some of you know them. Um, Macy is a freshman in high school, but she's uh, a, just a really world-class volleyball player. And she is being recruited on a weekly basis from colleges across the country, some of them the top schools in the nation for volleyball, like University of Florida and others. And she's being uh, recruited by other colleges as well. But in all of this, what did she do? She took a trip to Malawi with her dad, a missions trip to help there. In that, God gave her a picture of what he had for her, that she was going to be a medical missionary, and she wants to be a pediatrician and go to Africa and serve people there. Now, the thing is, how does that work with being a world-class volleyball player and sand volleyball player, too, as well? Well, here's what she's decided. She's not going to accept a top-tier college because if she does, as she puts it, they will own her. 
because the requirements of the program will mean that all her time goes to volleyball. She's going to take a second tier college. She'll still get her four-year scholarship, and she'll still get to play volleyball and be a standout, but she will get to go and give more attention to her school and her faith and the thing that God's called her to. Distractions. And she had parents who were willing to go that route with her. Parents who saw the importance of what she was choosing instead of going for status. That's distractions. What about comfort? That's the second thing I've seen take people out. We can get stuck in our comfort. This one's kind of probably maybe surprising for you. And it can cause us to check out following, check out of following Jesus when things get tough on the trail. You see, the longer we stay comfortable, the more we come to expect it. That walking with Jesus should be easy. Jesus, why didn't you provide for me in that time? Why didn't you do this? Why do I have this illness? Why did I get hit by that truck? Why did this happen? We begin to do our wise with him, which shows a sense of entitlement, that I'm entitled to ease or comfort. And following Jesus, we begin to think, should be easy, and that can trip us up. At this point, I think of my father-in-law's favorite little poem to recite, uh, the good Mennonite that he was and very disciplined with himself, but he loved to quote this because he felt like he still battled it. I like life smooth and in a groove, and all I do be self-approved. That's what can happen to us. And Jesus didn't promise us physical comfort or ease. He told us that we'd have trouble on this journey. In fact, he went so far as to say that each day would have enough trouble of its own so we should take life one day at a time. That's right. Get rid of the peanut butter. Get it out of your pack. Don't let it slow you down. That's what distractions will do, and that's what getting too comfortable will do. So let's talk about the second thing that can trip us up, and this is the sin that entangles us. It's, um, I'm going to ask Carlos to come up here. He's going to help me with this because he's such a good sport. And he is going to zip tie his legs. And this, my friends, is what they're talking about in Hebrews. This is what sin does to us. It's like trying to hike with your legs zip-tied together. He's amazing, isn't he? I'd like to try that on Tour de Mont Blanc. You know, two years later, we'd be at the end of the trail. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. So, Carlos, do you have the means to get free? I want you to notice something. Who can set him free? Yes, but only he can choose that. I can't set Carlos free. I couldn't cut that zip tie. And I'll tell you why in this moment. I want to talk about two of the things I've seen across our 44 years in ministry that take people out, and in my own life as well, that can slow you down, that can trip you up, if you will, that can zip tie your feet together and take you a lot further from Jesus than you want. And the first is... One that should be obvious to all of us, unforgiveness, holding grudges, letting them grow into bitterness and anger and malice and slander and all those nasty things that Paul talks about in Ephesians. But there's another piece to this. It's also requiring that others must ask for forgiveness if you are going to truly forgive. I've seen that take people out because it keeps them in a state of unforgiveness. Because, friends, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, forgive as you have been what? forgiven, forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God has forgiven you, right? It's all about what he's done for us, not what the other person has done to us. 
That's why I can forgive them. That's why I can release them from my judgment. And that helps us to know that. We can be completely free. We don't have to have zip-tied legs. We don't have to stay um, angry at someone just because they won't apologize. We don't need an apologize to forgive. We can do, well, and we should be very grateful for that. Grateful, or, or we'd all be walking around zip-tied, I have to tell you, because um, apologies are few and, and far between sometimes. Well, in my own life, this continues to play out. Now, I don't take myself out for long periods of time, thankfully, as of late anyway. But a few weeks ago, um, there was this invitation that came, not to me, but to others, um, for this gathering of pastors who were um, preparing to retire or about to retire. And, but I wasn't invited. My husband was, but I wasn't. And, you know, last week he talked about belonging and about his experience with, you know, feeling that you, you don't belong. And it was just, it, it just hit me hard that I wasn't invited. I, it made me feel like, okay, even in my finish, I don't belong. Um, I mean, I'm just saying what was going on in my mind. And for three to five days, I was very mad. <laughs> now, I didn't, I wasn't doing it mad at other people, but I was mad um, about this. And um, the Lord told me, you just need to come and talk to me about this. And we need to process this together. And that's what I did. And this is what he told me. He said, Ann, this is small. You can let go of it. You don't have to defend this. You don't have to be the spokesperson for women everywhere on this issue. You can let this one go. Life's too short. The truth be known, I didn't really want to go have this meeting you know, this, this several-day meeting. I, mean, I didn't want to spend my last month with you being gone for three days um, to do that. But it was just, it was the principle of a thing, right? That's what we say. Um, and I just had to, I had to let it go. And I read Romans eleven thirty six: for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory. And in that, as I was meditating, I was just, give it to Jesus. Give it to him. He'll take care of it for me. And that's what happened. And I was set free. And it was a wonderful thing. My legs, the zip ties came off. Because I'll tell you, for that three to five days, no, I didn't talk about it to others, but it put me on edge. You know when you're angry? It puts you on edge with others as well. So I, I had that zip tie cut off. Secondly is isolation. That's the second thing that I see um, a common sin to take us out. And the enemy's tactics are known. Jesus even describes them in John 10. Well, he says that Satan is a wolf who attacks the flock of sheep to scatter it. And then he picks them off one by one. He loves to isolate you and me from our faith community and from people of faith. And he even tried to do this with Jesus, friends. When does Satan choose to approach Jesus to tempt him? When he's out in the wilderness. He's been there 40 days and he hasn't eaten or drank for 40 days. That's when he comes, when he's fatigued and hungry. That's right, hangry is a thing. And even the devil knew it. He knew it and he even used that to get Jesus to react out of his hunger, right? But he didn't. So where have I seen this most where I've seen this most over the years is when people are struggling with something. It might be their marriage. It might be mental health issues. It might be a job loss. It might be troubles with their children. It might be difficulty trying to have a child. It might be other health issues. But in their struggle, 
They allow it to distance themselves from Jesus and from their faith community and from the very friends who would encourage them and pray for them along the way. And there's one other place where I see this happen as well. I see it when someone is trying to avoid what Jesus wants them to do. Because you see, if they press into their faith community, at that time, what are they going to hear? They're going to be encouraged to, take the, to do the very thing that they're trying to avoid or that Jesus wants them to do. I memorized this verse very early on in the New American Standard Version, Proverbs 18.1. He who separates himself seeks his own desire and quarrels against all sound wisdom. And sometimes we find ourselves in that place and we need Jesus to interrupt us. But I've also seen this. Sometimes it's not our own sins that are interrupting us. Sometimes it's other people's sins or flaws. We use that as a reason to isolate ourselves, to check out of church. The church is messy because it's made up of people like you and me. And we are not to use other people's sins as an excuse to kick out of church. It's, we don't get to pull the hypocrite card. That's what we want to do. Your judgment will do nothing to change that person you've judged, but it can shipwreck your faith in the process. Maybe some of you don't keep up on this news, but the Southern Baptist Convention just issued a report about a cover-up of uh, pastors, leaders in their organization um, that had uh, committed sexual offenses with women that had been covered up. And these, this report contains only the ones who were actually convicted for their actions in legal courts. But it was hundreds. See, when that happens, here's what happens in the minds of Christians, well, and in pre-Christians as well, but in Christians as well, they go, see, I told you, those Christians, bunch of hypocrites. Man, why would I want to be part of the church? Look at those people. But that's exactly the wrong way to do it. We don't want to use other people's sins or flaws as an excuse to isolate ourselves. That's exactly what the enemy wants to use this for. Instead, we want to release them from our judgment, pray for them in the process, and support active measures to live a more accountable life. That's what we choose to do. So we get to throw off the things that weigh us down and bind us up so we can continue to move forward with Jesus. And the third thing we get to do is focus on Jesus. He knows our path. He is our spiritual trailblazer. Now, I know that Carlos thinks that God's a warrior, as in Golden State Warriors. But Jesus is a trailblazer. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We just browse each other back and forth, don't we, Carlos? Yeah. <laughs> Hebrews 12 says it this way. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside of God, where you, when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through, and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. 
I know that you've had this experience where you've been in a difficult situation. Maybe people were saying mean things about you. Maybe somebody was opposing you and you went and read what Jesus did, how he refused to defend himself, how he endured insults. And I've been inspired by that. I can keep my mouth shut in that situation. So my question, what does it look like to fix your eyes on Jesus, to give Jesus our attention? When you give your child attention, what do you do? You're present with them, um, but your presence enough won't be able to guarantee that you are actually focused on them. Will it? Really? Can you have your eyes on your child and your thoughts be elsewhere? Can you have your eyes on your child and be looking past to the dishwasher that needs to be loaded? Yeah. Yeah, right? That takes effort to do that. It takes effort to give my child full attention, to fully engage in what they're doing or saying without my phone, my thoughts, or other stuff distracting me. And it takes the same effort to give Jesus our attention, maybe even more than a child because he's not physically present to let us know he's there, right? And to say, hey, look at me. Look at me right now, you know, like we do with our kids. With Jesus, this means that we get to look for what he's up to in any situation that we find ourselves in, and we listen for what he wants to say to us in that. And here's how I set myself up for that in a daily way. You see, I start each of my days by tuning in to him, meditating on a specific scripture, then reading or listening to some scripture from my scripture reading plan, reflecting on it and making observations, and then writing in my journal and praying. This is just the start of my hike through another day of following Jesus. It's not the whole day, and we call this soap. Or PB&J time, soap, scripture, observation, application, prayer. You can use that with any Bible reading plan that, that you have. Or PB&J, prayer, Bible, and journal. Again, with any reading plan that you have. But that's just the start of the first day hike. I talk to Jesus all day long because stuff happens, right? And following Jesus is the most important hike you'll ever take. There are a lot of things that conspire, friends, to drive me away from Jesus, to separate me from him, to drive a wedge in our relationship. And I want to keep going and not be distracted or tripped up as I follow him. And I want that for you. So have you decided to follow Jesus today? That's the best decision of your life. But for all of us, there's three things that we can do to finish well. The three things we've talked about today. Keep your destination in mind. Spend a little time thinking about heaven every now and then. Travel light. Throw that peanut butter out of the pack. Focus on Jesus. For 57 years, I've been on this hike toward heaven and eternity with Jesus. Jesus is the most important person in my life. He is the one who has walked every step with me. The only one who will never leave us. And I invite you today to join me in renewing our commitment to follow him, to let go of things that are slowing us down or tripping us up, and to focus on him. And we're going to today do something to to express that to Jesus, to experience that with him. The band's coming out, 
And we are going to Jaira, the one who is enough for wherever we're at in our hike with him. And maybe today you're here and you haven't got right with God. And that's your next step. You get to say yes to his love for you, yes to what he did on the cross. You want to begin that hike of your life by taking that first step. It's just a move toward him saying, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I want to know you. That's what that is. But for all of us today, we have the opportunity to renew our commitment to following Jesus. And in this transition as a church, we want to take this moment to renew our commitment to him and following him in this adventure that he's laid out for us here at Evergreen. And we get to do it coming, singing about Jehovah Jireh. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And as we do this, I'm going to ask you to take a symbolic step or steps. Because what I'm going to ask you to do is to, when we start singing, for you to start walking. That's right, walking toward Jesus. Your steps, your physical steps to the front. All around here and in the aisles is a way of saying to Jesus, Jesus, today I'm taking another step forward with you. I'm renewing my commitment to you. And if you're on live stream there at home, I invite you to even standing in your living rooms, to stand up, whatever you're doing, and take a step or two forward, just as an expression, Jesus, today, I'm renewing my commitment to follow you. I have decided to follow Jesus. Let's sing Jaira together as we walk down and take those steps. <laughs> 